This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You're listening to the new Mutual Audio Network. Welcome home. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Electric Vicuña Productions presents The Sonic Society with Jack Ward and David Alt. Power levels at minimum efficiency. I know, I know, I know, I know. Creating the YouTube account for the Sonic Society to seal the rift in audio space drained the tortoise immensely. The old girl shouldn't be going through these kinds of strains. But but if we're going to get me back to my time and place and end the threat of the Videk to the audioverse, we need to make it to where they're preparing their weapon. We are close to Misfit's audio space. Yes, I see. Well, if we drift over there and pick up the big game... We can use it to leapfrog the tortoise closer to the Videk by catching radio stages a matter of life and death. Get ready. Here we go. The following audio drama is a presentation of Misfits Audio. What do you think he wants? I hate to think. You never know with him. Maybe he's in a good mood. Uh, Maybe he called us together to tell us how happy he is with the network's ratings in the latest book. G.W. McCoy happy? Impossible! You've only been here for about three months, John. As a veteran of the TV network ratings wars, let me pass on one bit of information to you. G.W. McCoy, the cheesiest of all the big cheeses, is never happy. I've been summoned to three meetings with the old man since I started here. It's never been fun. I haven't met him yet. He's not in town often. He's always flying here and there, mostly on business. This whole network was his idea. He's determined to see it succeed, no matter the price. What's he like? You're about to find out. John Winwood is a junior program developer for the American Television Network. Recently, the fledgling network has added several series which have become modest rating successes. John is understandably nervous as to what his boss, the infamous G.W. McCoy, wants of him and his fellow program developers, Jerry Pratt and Pete Cochran. We'll pause here as Mr. McCoy enters the conference room in our tale, The Big Game. Good morning, gentlemen. Sir? Mr. McCoy. Good morning, sir. I don't recognize you. My name is John Winwood, Mr. McCoy. I'm the new program developer. New? He took over Stevenson's position. What happened to Stevenson? He didn't go to a competitor, did he? No, he retired. Oh. Well, that's okay. We did give him a farewell party, didn't we? We did, and a gold watch. When was that? A little more than three months ago. Uh, was I there? No, you weren't. 
I must have been on the East Coast. Shame. I would have liked the chance to say goodbye to old Stan Stevenson. Sam, sir. Isn't that what I said? Uh, of course. Welcome to ATN, Winwood. Thank you, sir. I I'm pleased to be here. Good, good. Happy employees are productive employees. Right, Jerry? Absolutely. Well, gentlemen, as you all know, time is money. And I didn't call you together this afternoon to reminisce about old Stan. Men, our network has a problem. What would that be? The latest ratings book shows markedly improved numbers for several of our programs. Many of the series that debut this fall, they're doing well already. You're very direct. I like that. I'm not complaining about our current schedule. For a relatively new network, we're actually doing rather well. The advertisers are pleased with the bang they're getting for their buck, and happy advertisers make for happy network executives. Right, Cochran? Absolutely. What I'm talking about is a genre of program that we don't have. We've got cops, doctors, and precocious kids to spare. But we don't have a reality program. We need one, and I want it on the air soon. They're all the rage nowadays. We need ours to stand out from the crowd somehow. Prettier contestants, bigger prizes, whatever it takes. What can everyone relate to? What's universal? What haven't the other networks made fodder for their shows yet? They pretty much run the gamut. Sex, greed, personality, looks. How about life and death? That's universal. You want a reality series based on death? Maybe it'd make a better game show? Look into both possibilities. Game shows are hot now, too. And pretty cheap to produce. Wouldn't that be, well, a downer? Not if it's handled correctly. You can entertain the American television viewer with anything. I can see it now. Big, big prizes for the winner. A million bucks. That may not be enough. Some of the other shows are already offering that. And more. Two million, then. Five million. A billion. A billion dollar prize? Whatever the network's coffers will bear. Think big. Really big. A billion could be the grand prize, after one contestant wins for several weeks in a row. What would the contestants need to do? Whatever it takes. Do silly stunts, answer trivia questions, eat worms. Anything where a panel of judges can pick a definite winner each week. Maybe the studio audience could vote. Oh, that would be good. Or the home audience. That would get people to tune in. We could sell some gizmo viewers could hook up to their TVs to vote. Imagine the feeling of power they'd have holding a human life in their hands. What would really happen to the losing contestants? What do you mean? They'd be killed live on the air. What? We could even recruit celebrities to be the executioner. We could have a different one each week. I know some has-beens who would jump at the chance for nationwide TV exposure. Why, they'd probably pay us for the opportunity. You really think that people would sign up for a program where, if they lose, they'll be killed? I do. If the prize for the winners is big enough, and a billion dollars should be big enough. I think you're underestimating the condition of the economy, Winwood. If this contest is the only way someone has to provide for his family... He'll take the chance. But isn't that murder? Not with properly signed waivers. People will know what they're getting into and agree to hold the network blameless. We'll give some prizes to the loser's family each week. A new microwave, a laptop, an iPad. Whatever trinkets hot at the time. And the funeral costs? ATN can pick up the tab for that. 
Maybe we can develop a spin-off where we show the losers' funerals. That could be the reality show. If we slip a few bucks to the grieving widow, I'll bet she'll let us down in a casket. Tears. Tears are big business. What do you think, gentlemen? Brilliant. A hit in the making. Hmm. Right now, this is the top priority for all of you. I want to see a pilot in three months. What will the title be, sir? Oh, I don't know. G.W. McCoy presents something or other. It'll come to me. John Winwood. Good morning, sir. I hope you had a pleasant weekend. Busy. Deals, deals, deals. Network business doesn't wait for Monday. How about you? Nothing special. My wife and I went out to DeLuca's on Saturday. I didn't know you were married. Yes, for almost a year now. I'm on my way to the airport, but I wanted to give you a quick call. I was thinking of the life and death show we were all talking about last week. I've been giving it some serious thought. So have I. You want to go through with it? Of course I do. I called Charlie Demarest. I told him to set you, Brad and Cochran, up in Studio J. It's the largest available studio we have. Uh, he has someone coming in this morning with preliminary sketches for the series set. It's gonna be a whopper. You should head over there later. Pratt's been there all weekend. I'll do that. I want big. Lots of flashing lights, banks of TV screens, maybe even more than one level. And I think a trap door would be a great idea. You mean... Pull a lever and the loser goes down the chute? Right. There could be a big pit underneath. Think of the theater. What would be in the pit? I don't know. A crocodile, piranha, whatever the crew can get. We could even make that part of the set transparent. No sense in denying the audience their bread and circuses, is there? No, sir. I'm probably going to lose you in a minute. My chauffeur and I are nearly at the tunnel before the airport. I have to catch a flight to Zurich. Zurich? I'm sure he does. Oh, I think I have a title for the new show. G.W. McCoy presents The Big Game. Yeah, I think G.W. will like that touch. Pull anybody you need off of other productions. The boss is given The Big Game top priority. Jerry. Hey, John. Happy Monday. How are you? I've been better. I just got off the phone with McCoy. <laughs> Not a good way to start the morning. Have you seen the blueprint for this set? Two levels. It's gonna be amazing. That's just what I wanted to talk with you about. What's the problem? McCoy is planning a game show where losers will die. And we're helping him. How can you be so calm? <laughs> you believe him? Of of course I do. Don't. You haven't known him as long as I have. Sure, he's, to put it nicely, eccentric. But he's no murderer. Even a man as powerful as McCoy is in this town is subject to the laws of this great land. So no contestant will really die? <laughs> of course not. It may look that way, and they might think they're going to die while they're playing the game, but it's all part of the show. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. <laughs> then 
Why? Publicity and illusion. No one will really know what happens, especially if ATN pays the losing contestants to keep out of sight for a while, like some of the other networks do for their shows. Do you remember ALF? Sure. The producers never admitted that there was some little person inside the costume because they wanted to float the illusion that ALF was an actual alien. And some people believed it. But? Look who's the head of the network. He signs my paycheck and yours. We have to keep him happy. I've been here all weekend. <laughs> the life of the loner bachelor. No family, no commitments. I'm probably here way too much. But it makes for some great overtime. This whole series is a big lie. Welcome to the world of network TV. Give the boss what he wants. Humor him. It'll be good for all of us. Job security. And you never know. The big game may be a hit. I doubt it. I think Damaris can hold down the fort. Let's take a hike. You, Pete, and I have to come up with the rules for this game or we won't have a show. It'll have to be pretty tough for a billion-dollar prize. Agreed. But not so tough that people will feel stupid. We need somewhere between Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy for the question and answer part. TV trivia is good for that. You want people to go, oh yeah, of course, when they hear the answer. You're finally home. You're telling me. You've been doing a lot of late nights. <sighs> I know. Rough day. Monotonous. I spent most of the day writing down TV trivia questions for The Big Game. <laughs> Doesn't that premiere in a couple of weeks? It does. McCoy wants to air the premiere live. Not live on tape, but really live. It had better go well then. No technical difficulties. The set is enormous. Two levels and enough electricity to light up Sri Lanka. I kind of want to see that show. You? You have a college degree, Barb. It will be an interesting study in what people will do for 15 minutes of fame. 60 minutes. It's an hour-long show. Andy Warhol and I beg your forgiveness. Besides, I want to see what you've been spending all these late nights developing. Well, it hasn't been by choice, believe me. Like Jerry Pratt said, we have to keep the boss happy. He signs the checks. We'll TiVo the premiere. Why? For posterity? You've forgotten already? Uh, my brain is putty. If, if I say yes, will you be mad at me? <sighs> my cousin Linda is getting married in Philly that weekend. Remember? Is that the same weekend as the premiere? It is. With all this overtime, the days have been running into each other. Oh, don't worry, though. I, I took the time off already. We'll be back on Sunday. You can watch the big game then. That way, you'll be able to tell the boss how wonderful it was over the water cooler on Monday morning. For the next two weeks, nothing mattered to the American television network but the big game. McCoy put out a flood of advertising. And not just on ATN, but in newspapers, on radio stations, on billboards, anywhere he could think of. Don't miss it, the advertising went. Your life could depend on it. Word of mouth grew and grew. An undisclosed big-name guest star was promised as the first guest executioner. McCoy even decided to host the show himself. 
It was four or five days before the premiere when GW sauntered into the cramped office I shared with Jerry and Pete. Samantha Feldon? Do you remember her? Of course I do. I used to watch Spy Time every week when I was a kid. Same here. Boy, was she a looker. She's still very attractive. I'm thrilled that she's going to be the first guest executioner. Others are already calling to sign up. I'm hearing from agents of has-beens that I didn't even know were still alive. It's going to be a great show. I'm expecting big, big numbers. Have you seen the publicity we're getting for it being a live broadcast? Every little bit helps. I think the games you boys have developed are just the right mix of brawn and brains. We should get the eggheads and the jocks tuning in. That's a rarity. I want you three and your families to be in the audience, right up front for the premiere. I'll bring the missus. I'm just a lonely bachelor, but I'll be there. I'm afraid I can't make it. What? I've got a wedding in Philly. I told the personnel director about needing this Friday off before I was hired. You're sure you can't skip the wedding? I'd really like all three of you there as your names pass by on the screen. I'm afraid not. We're all booked, flight, and hotel. It's my wife's favorite cousin, and... She's in the bridal party. Shame. I'll be there for the second show. That will have to do. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to go check that the piranha have arrived. <sighs> Boy, it's good to be back. Wasn't Linda a beautiful bride? Yeah, but you were the prettiest woman there. You sweet talker, you. I have a couple of phone calls to make before I turn in. Do you mind? No. I want to watch the big game. I'm sure that McCoy will be asking for my opinions on it tomorrow. Honey, I was going to make a snack. Would you like something? Honey? I'm sorry. Did you say something? You're really engrossed in that show. That's Jerry Pratt. Is it? What's he doing on the show? I'm not sure why, but he's a contestant. He looks nervous. It's all part of the show. What's that lady doing? Jerry must have lost the game. She's pulling the lever to drop him into the piranha tank. Piranha? Oh, you could see the fish eating him. It's all fake, honey. Hollywood. But there are bones floating in the water. I changed my mind. I... I don't want to see this. It's too realistic. Yes, it certainly is. Are you coming to bed, honey? It's late. Who are you calling? Jerry Pratt. Why? I wanted to to congratulate him on his acting debut. What did he say? He didn't answer. <sighs> you can congratulate him in the morning. I hope so. Did you see the show? I TV'd it and watched it last night. What did you think? Pretty good, huh? GW is pleased, and that's important. What was Jerry doing as a contestant? Uh, who? Jerry. 
Where's his desk? Whose desk? Jerry's. There were three desks here when I left for the wedding. Three. I think you have some jet lag, buddy. There have never been three desks in this office. Just two, yours and mine. Who's this Jerry? Jerry Pratt. Friend of yours? Of mine? He's a friend of both of us. What's he do here? He's one of the program developers. His name's on the door, right? Here. But there were three names there. I'm sure of it. It must be new glass, right? That glass has been there for years. There's the crack from when I slammed the door a few weeks ago. They added your name under mine when you started. See? No Jerry Platt. Pratt? I... I need to speak with McCoy. Where is he? I'm not sure. Probably over at the big game set. Don't be too long. We need to start writing some questions for episode two. McCoy, I know you're here. Show yourself. Are you hiding behind the stage? Are you scared, big man? I'll find you wherever you are, you murderer. Good to see you again, Winwood. How was the wedding? Why'd you kill Jerry? You're very blunt for someone who has been employed here for such a short time. But I need to be. Have you had your coffee this morning? What are you talking about? No, I suppose not. If you had had some coffee, you wouldn't remember the late Mr. Pratt at all. You doped the coffee? Yes. That's why no one, not even your cohort, Mr. Cochran, remembers that Pratt ever existed. I used a combination of common herbs and roots I learned about overseas. Tasteless, cheap, simple, and effective. It has served me well in this town over the years. Someone else must remember, Jerry. Uh, Not for long. I have other methods to ensure totality. My operatives are at work as we speak. Soon, no one but I will remember him at all. I'll remember him. We'll see about that. Why, McCoy? Why was Jerry a contestant on this blasted show of yours? That you helped create. I never thought you were crazy enough to commit an actual murder, especially live on television. Neither did Jerry. I told you my plan for the losing contestants from the very beginning. Why the surprise now? Why Jerry? The scheduled contestant, Mr. Frederick Cranston from Santa Monica, never showed up. We were going out live on the air. We needed a replacement player. Jerry never thought you would really kill. I think he started to wonder about that when he was standing on the trapdoor above the piranha tank. I noticed a little sweat on his upper lip. Have you seen the overnight ratings for the show? Absolutely amazing! Advertisers are clamoring to buy spots already. The big game is going to be a hit with a capital H. It'll need a new host. I'm going to the police. <laughs> Do you mind if I tag along? What? I have a reputation in this town, having been in the entertainment industry for more than three decades. ATN regularly donates large sums of cash to charitable organizations championed by the local authorities. 
The idea that the police would believe you, a newly hired program developer, over me is laughable. There is already no record of Jerry Pratt anywhere at this network. To the police, he will be an invention of yours in your quest to extort money from me. <laughs> Laugh now, McCoy. It'll be your last. And this is your last. Put that down. You don't want two murders on your hands. I don't really care. I'll do whatever it takes to make this network a success. Beg, borrow, steal, kill. I got rid of Pratt. I can get rid of you. It will just take a bit longer with the family you have. You are nuts. You shouldn't call GW that. Oh, Pete, thank God you're here. We have to... Oh, no. Mr. Cochran loves his coffee. You're a little late. Sorry, boss. No matter. We have a small problem to deal with. So I see. Move, Winwood, or I'll kill you where you stand. Move where? To the trap door over the piranha, where your imaginary friend breathed his last. Move! Since this is a game show stage, Winwood, let's play the game. We're not filming today, so there will be a very small audience. Only the three of us. Welcome, everyone, to the big game. I'm your genial host, G.W. McCoy. John Winwood of Los Angeles is now positioned over the pit where our losing contestant met his grisly end last week. Do you want to play our game, Mr. Winwood? With two guns trained on me, how can I refuse such an invitation? But first, a commercial break. I have no desire to kill you, unless you can't keep your mouth shut. Think of your loved ones, especially that pretty wife of yours. It would be a shame for my people to have to hunt all your friends and family down after your death to make sure they keep quiet. Cut the crap. What do you want? You win our little game, and keep your mouth shut, and we'll let you and yours live. If not... I'll spring open the trap door. The piranha are still hungry. They haven't had a good meal since... Pratt. I've got my hand on the release lever. If you try to run, Cochrane will take care of you. I sure will. If you answer this question correctly, you can live if you keep your mouth shut. Otherwise, zoom. Down the chute. Decide. Get on with it. And we're back. John Winwood, here's your life or death question. Who was the 17th president of the United States? Andrew Johnson. My game, my rules. He never would have kept his mouth shut. In the big game, you heard Russell Gold as Jerry Pratt, Peter Catt as Pete Cochran, Glenn Haskell as John Winwood, Elise Crowick as the narrator, Scott Fortney as G.W. McCoy, and Diane Havens as Barbara Winwood. The big game was written and produced by Mike Murphy. The assistant producer and webmaster was Captain John Tatterzak. The mixer was Matthew Blondin. 
Music for The Big Game was composed and performed by John Carl Toth. It is copyrighted 2014 and is used with his permission. To hear more of his music, please visit his website at johnnytoth.wix.com forward slash music. The art director was Alexa Chipman. The script editor was Arlene Osborne. All the characters portrayed herein are fictitious. Any resemblance to actual persons, living or dead, is purely coincidental. Please visit us on the web at MisfitsAudio.com and on Facebook. This has been a presentation of Misfits Audio, copyright 2014. All rights reserved. This is Elise Crowick speaking. Stories to Tales of Intrigue, we present WCRS Radio Stage. Please join us for this exercise of the imagination with radio drama. Today, a story by David Binkley. That sound tells us there's only 15 seconds till curtain time, so get comfortable in your chair as we go to Studio X as WCRS Radio Stage presents the story... A matter of life and death. How many of us think a great deal about life and death? Some people believe in the sacredness of life above everything else, while others believe it is the quality of life that really matters. Is keeping the body alive no matter what most important? Is being hooked up to a machine that breathes and maintains bodily functions demeaning to a person's dignity or soul? Some believe in doing so, we defy the Almighty's plans and His will. We are given such a relatively short time in our mortal bodies, yet we seldom consider what our life would be like if we were kept alive only through the assistance of a machine. Perhaps we should give greater thought to this process, because as people are able to live longer, the possibility of this happening to any one of us greatly increases. What would you do if you had to make such a decision? A decision that would be a matter of life and death. Could you make that decision if you had to? I need respiratory up here in room three, stat. Room 7 needs an ostomy dressing change. 4, 2, and 9 need IVs checked. And we need to set up for perfusion in 1 and 6. And, oh yes, welcome to the ICU unit, Mrs. Sanders. I can't wait to see what happens the next hour around here. 
Yes, a lot goes on in a very short time. But working in intensive care can be the most important nursing job you'll ever have. One mistake and a person's life literally rests in our hands. I know you're right. It's just I'm used to a little less organized chaos. You'd think I hadn't worked a day in the hospital, much less the last nine years. I know. The pace is a little fast around here. A little fast? Why, I've seen Boston Marathon runners take it slower than you do in here. It is a lot faster here than on the third floor. I really appreciate your volunteering to help us out down here. We're so short-handed with one vacation and two call-offs. Enough chat. Now take this to room five and I'll get the injection ready for room seven. Now scoot. Well, off to the races. She'll be all right. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't notice you standing there. My name is Mercy Baskins. And how can I help you, Miss Baskins? That's Mrs. Baskin, or better yet, just call me Mercy. All right, then, Mercy, what can I do for you? I was told my mother was brought here sometime last night. And what is her name? Oh, I'm Mercy? sorry. Her name is Tracy, Mrs. Tracy Withers. Oh, yes, Mrs. Withers. Uh, she's in room nine, but I'll have to have Dr. Davis talk to you before I can let you see her. Why? What's wrong? Everything is all right. This is just a formality that we go through here. It's just so you can be completely aware of your mother's condition. She's really doing okay, then. Oh, I can assure you, Mercy, that your mother is in stable condition. Now, if you'll come with me, I'll take you to the family waiting room, and then I'll come back and page the doctor. That's okay. You don't have to take me. Just tell me where it is. It's that last door on the left, just before you get to the double doors. Pour yourself a cup of coffee, and the doctor will be right in. Thanks. I could use a cup about now. Oh, and Mercy? Yes? Try not to worry too much. Everything is progressing just fine. Sure. Well, Mrs. Baskins, I'm Dr. Davis. Thank you for waiting. Doctor, I don't understand any of this. Yesterday when my mother got up, she felt fine. In the afternoon, she felt sick, so her doctor told her to go to the emergency room. And from the emergency room, she was taken to a regular room. Now this morning when I arrived at the hospital, they told me that she had been moved to the intensive care unit. When I got here, they made me come in here, and they won't let me see my mother. Will somebody please tell me what's going on here? No, no, I, I know you're frustrated and, and scared. Go ahead and let it out. Oh, I'm sorry, Doctor. Well, it's okay, I tell you. This is why we bring the family in here first, so they can find out where everything stands. Well, so they can take some time to collect themselves. I'll, I'll be all right. Can you tell me why my mother's here? And why no one bothered to call me at home and tell me that my mother had been taken to the intensive care unit? Now, the first one is easy enough to answer. About uh, two this morning, your mother had a, a heart attack. Oh, my God! A heart attack? No, it's not as bad as it sounds, Mrs. Baskins. Once she was stabilized, we brought her down here. But why the ICU? Well, at this hospital, we handle the most critical cases in ICU where we can keep a close watch on her. We can do a few tests on her, and if she continues to stay this stable, we'll move her into the CCU. Doctor... Why didn't anyone call me? Well, it was about three in the morning by the time we got your mother stabilized. It was pretty late, and she was stable, so it was decided to call you just before the shift change at seven. Well, somehow that call never got made. I, I do apologize for that. Then it was a pretty bad heart attack. Well, I won't play games with you, Mrs. Baskins. Please, doctor, call me Mercy. I won't play games with you, Mercy. 
Yes, it was bad. It, it took a specialized heart team almost an entire hour to get your mother stabilized. If it had been any less of an attack, then she would have been able uh, to be taken to the CCU. And if it had been any worse, well, then I, I don't think that she would still be with us. Her cardiac enzymes show there is a lot of muscle damage, and we are controlling the arrhythmia with an external pacemaker. With tests, we'll be able to determine the exactness of the damage to her heart. Is she going to be the way she was before she had the heart attack? Well, if she doesn't have any setbacks, she will make a partial recovery. As I said, we'll, we'll take some tests, and they'll tell us if surgery will be required when she's stronger. We've already drawn some blood, and the lab is working on that right now. I'm not going to pretend I understand your jargon, doctor, so I don't even know if you answered my question. All I want to know is if my mother's going to get better. Yes, if there aren't any setbacks. You keep talking about setbacks. What kind of a setback can she have? Well, for starters, she could have another heart attack. Now, we have done what tests we can from here. The lab has that now, and we should hear back soon. The next 24 hours are critical. But if she makes it through that, takes it easy, and, and does what she should, then she'll have a good many years left. After all, this is her first heart attack. Uh, is there anything else I can do for you? When can I see my mother? Well, just as soon as you collect yourself. It's very important for your mother to see that you are all right. How much does she know? She knows that uh, she has had a heart attack, but she doesn't know how serious an attack it was. As you can imagine, she is scared and depressed. Okay. I guess I'm as ready as I'm ever going to be. Well, this way then. Actually, for what she's been through, she's in very good shape. Oh, oh doctor. My mother has a very strong will. Ah, here we are. Room nine. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. All right. Here we go. Go on in, Mercy. What should I say? Well, she's your mother. Go on. I'll leave you two alone. Huh? Mother. Mother. Who is it? Is that you, Mercy? Yes, Mother, it's me. Is Tommy with you? Why would Tom be here? It's not Christmas yet. Mercy, oh, please, don't talk about your brother like that. Why? Did I forget to mention his birthday, too? I can't believe you're so mean to your brother. You did call your brother and tell him I was in the hospital, didn't you, Mercy? Yes, I called Tom when I got home. And what did he say? That he couldn't make it home right now to keep him informed. And he sends his love. <laughs> He's a good boy, that Tommy is. Really? Then why isn't he here? Your brother is a busy man. You did tell him that I had a heart attack, didn't you? Now, how could I do that, Mother? I just found out myself. Oh, never mind then. What time is it anyway? Oh, let me see. Oh, it's about 10.30. <laughs> You live here in the city, and you can't get here before 10.30. Why do you always do that? Why do I always do what? Just what you're doing now. You live in the house with me and Jerry. We take you where you want and need to go. We even take you on vacations with us. We're there for you day and night. 
You get two short visits a year from Tom when he's passing through town, and the only time he ever calls you is when he needs money. Mother, you have spent his whole life making excuses for him. He's 43 years old and he has never amounted to anything. Yet, the only thing I ever hear from your lips is, Tommy, 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 I can't recall you ever given me or Jerry one kind word. No, that husband of yours. Why don't you not to marry that man? He's not good enough for you. See, there you go again, Mother. Jerry has been a good provider, a wonderful father, and a more than patient husband. Not only is he good enough for me, sometimes I think he may be too good for me. I don't care what you think about me. Just leave my husband alone. Oh, listen to yourself, Mercy. You've always held too low of an opinion of yourself. No, no, Mother. It's always been you that has had a low opinion of me. And why not? Getting pregnant at the age of 17 with an older man. Jerry's only two years older than me. Two years. At age 17 is almost an eighth of your life. Well, at least he had the decency to marry you. If you recall, he also had the decency to take you in when Daddy died and left you penniless. Jerry's a good man. He's my husband. And I wish for just this once you would get off his back. Ma, aren't you the one with the speeches today? It's a good thing that I'm already in the hospital. And a good thing that your father isn't alive to hear you talk to me like this. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Try and make me feel guilty like you always do. Tell me what a terrible daughter I am. And then tell me about that wonderful, precious little Tommy. Me make you feel guilty. I don't think you could be shamed into feeling guilt. If I can't, then it's because you've made me numb to it. You are your father's daughter. I'll take that as a compliment. I love Daddy very much. But you don't love me so much, do you, Mercy? Of course I love you. You're my mother. No. You only love me because I am your mother. Loved your father so much more than that. Oh, how could you say that, Mother? Because your father always stayed your daddy. Somehow I went from being mommy to being mother. So formal. Always so formal. That was because... Because why? Because I felt that you never loved me. That's ridiculous. I gave birth to you. You don't have to love someone to give birth to them. Do you realize I can never recall you saying the words, Percy, I love you. Mother, why have you never told me that? From the moment you were born, I could see. <laughs> oh, Mercy, you were so tiny, so fragile, so beautiful. And the way your father looked at you, well, I don't know, there was... It was an instant bond between the two of you. You had been crying from the moment you were born, but the second he took you in his arms, you stopped crying. And from then on, if you ever needed help, it was your father you wanted. And if you were hurt or sick, it was your father you needed. You mean... Do you mean to tell me that you were jealous of me? Is that why you made everything so difficult for me, Mother? Because you were jealous of me? 
Your own daughter? You didn't need me then, and you don't need me now. You never really needed me, did you, Mercy? I always needed you, Mother. I just never knew how to reach out to you. You were always so distant to me. It seemed that no matter what I did, it wasn't good enough for you. No matter how hard I tried. But with Daddy, it was different. He was so easy to talk to, easy to please, easy to be with. Daddy was able to make me feel safe, and he could make me believe that everything was going to be all right. I have never been very good at showing how I really felt inside, Mercy, not about anything. No, you haven't. And the more I try to pull towards you, the more I felt you push me away. I guess that's why he always stayed daddy. And why you became mother. Excuse me. I have to take a blood pressure reading right now. Maybe. Maybe he'd better leave, Merce. Oh, she can stay. It'll only be a minute. I need to place the thermometer under your tongue, Mrs. Withers. Here, that's good. Hmm. What is it, nurse? The blood pressure. It's just a little high. And so is the temperature. Nothing to worry about, but we'll keep a close eye on it. Are you sure it's okay? Yes. Everything's just fine. I'll check in on her again in a bit. I'm so tired. I really need to rest. Oh, Mercy, why don't you go get yourself a cup of coffee? All right, Mother, all right. I have some errands to run. I'll be back in a couple of hours. I'll call Tommy and see if I could get him to make a trip home. Dr. Davis to room 9, stat, respiratory failure, heart team, room 9, ICU, code red. Is the daughter still here? We may need to put Mrs. Withers on life support. No, she left a couple of minutes ago. Well, someone needs to get a hold of her. And go to the station and call Mrs. Baskin's husband and see if he can contact her. Right away. Let's see, Baskin's home, work. Mr. Baskins, this is Ann Holliday from Prescott Medical Center. Does your wife have a pager or a cell phone that you could contact her with? No, she doesn't. Is there a problem? I don't mean to alarm you, but we feel that it would be better if your wife were here. Do you know where she might be? No, but I'll call the house and go look for her. Thank you, Mr. Baskins. I've contacted the son-in-law, and he's now looking for his wife. Well, if we don't get this heart beating again, the life support won't be necessary. What is it? What is happening? Where am I? Oh, look at those people down there. That woman, she looks like me. I think... I think that it is me. Oh, oh, I don't know what is happening to me, but I feel wonderful. 
ahead is a big, bright light. It feels so warm, so comforting. I don't know where I'm going, but I feel safe. And Tracy, Tracy. Who is that calling me? It's me, over here. Who is it? Is it you, Henry? Y- yes, it's me, and it's you. But, but how can that be? Because it's your time. My time to die? No, it's, it's your time to live. We don't die over here. I've been sent here to cross you over, to bring you to the light and eternity. And now we shall be here forever, together. Oh, Oh, I've missed you so much, Henry. I've missed you too, Tracy. But I've been watching you. You've been a naughty girl. What what do you mean? (laughs) Don't get mad at me now. I've seen the way you've treated Mercy. You've been really tough on her. (laughs) I suppose I have Don't you remember why we named her Mercy? On the way to the hospital, we decided that the world needed a little more mercy. So if we had a girl, that is what we would name her. Oh, yes, I remember. Take my hand. It's time to cross over. What is happening? Is it supposed to be this way? No, no, it's not. I don't understand. They sent me to get you. It's supposed to be your time. Tracy. I'll be pulled back. I don't want to go back. No. <sighs> well, she's she's back. But without life support, she won't be for long. Have we heard anything from the family yet? No, Doctor. Helen, it's my call. Hook her up. Dr. Davis, here are the lab reports back on Mrs. Withers. Well, let me see. Damn it. It seems 20 minutes ago. I would never have brought her back. Doctor! Dr. Davis! My husband told me I had to get right down here. What's happened? Well, your your mother has had another heart attack. Oh, Lizzie. my God, a bit! Well, it, it was pretty bad. Her heart had completely stopped. When we got it going again, I had to put her on life support. Life support? Yeah, but uh, I wouldn't have if I had gotten these reports back first. Mercy, your mother has cancer. My my mother has cancer. Yes, and by all indications, it's spread throughout her body. My, her heart is, is too weak to undergo any treatments, so the cancer will continue to spread until it shuts down her body functions. How long does she have? Well, with life support, she could live possibly another two to four months. And without life support? With the condition her heart is in, I would say between ten minutes and ten hours. Doctor... You could turn off the life support then? No. But you could. Once she's hooked up, it takes a family member to give permission to turn it off. It's up to you, Mercy. She's asleep now. She may never gain consciousness. I'll leave you two alone. No. 
No, I, no, no, I can't tell them to just let my mother die. I can't do it. Mercy, are you there? Yes, yes, I'm your mother. I need you to help. Anything, anything. I'll do anything I can for you, mother. I want to die. No, no, mother. You want to live. No, no. I want to die. I was supposed to have died, but I guess the doctors brought me back. I saw your father, Percy. You saw Daddy. He was, he was there to greet me, to cross me over. Oh, please, let me go, Bert. Don't you want to wait, Mother, until no. Tommy gets here? No, no, I'm ready to go now. Oh, please. <laughs> All right, Doctor, Doctor Davis? Yes, Mrs. Baskins. My mother and I have decided to have the machines turned off. Is this correct? <laughs> yes. Please. Well, very well then. If you could sign here, Missy. And hand here. And here. <sighs> well, that's it. All that's left is to turn off the machine. I'll leave you two alone now. Thank you. Be sure, be sure to tell your brother. I love him very much. I, I will, mother. And mercy, and mercy. I want you to know how proud I am of you. You are a good wife. And a wonderful mother. And a far better daughter than I deserve. Shush, shush. Don't, don't talk, mother. I love you, Myers. Mom. I love you too, Mommy. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, Mommy. Tracy, darling, I see you've made it back. Yes. There was just one thing I had to do before I left. Henry, she called me Mommy. Hmm. Mommy. And now, you're ready. Here's my hand, Henry. Let's go.
Today's program featured Josie Vecchio as Mercy, Lee Zinner as Tracy, Mel Hart as Dr. Davis, Alan Bonin as Henry, Rebecca Marsh as Mary, Carol Steely as Anne, and Dean Vecchio as Jerry. A Matter of Life and Death was written by David Binkley. Original music was written and performed by David Crawford. Theme music for WCRS Radio Stage was written by David Crawford and Tom Holman. WCRS Radio Stage was produced in Akron, Ohio by David Binkley and David Crawford. I'm your host, Joe Cali, asking you to join us the next time we open the curtain on WCRS Radio Stage. Sonic Society Season 10 is written and produced by Jack J. Ward and David Alt, with original music provided by Sharon B. at SharonB.com. All features, interviews and audio drama shorts are owned completely by their originators and provided to the Sonic Society through Creative Commons licensing. The Sonic Society itself originates from Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. This has been an Electric Vicuna production. Hey everyone, it's Mark from Leap Audio. I'm here to tell you about something really exciting. July 24 through 26 of 2020, Halifax, Nova Scotia, we are gathering together in the world's first international modern audio drama convention and family reunion. Inspired in part by the living, loving memory of our dear friend Bill Hallwake, we're bringing together writers, producers, actors, and our fans for workshops, seminars, and even live performances. So join us, won't you? Go to madcon.com. That's www.mad-con.com for more information. I hope to see you in Halifax in 2020.